Hello, and welcome back to Candy Stripe Combos, Indiana Daily Students podcast where we talk about Indiana football. I'm Will Foley. I'm uh, Jacob Spudage. And I'm Garrett Newman. And we're here September 21st talking about the aftermath of Indiana, Western Kentucky, and later we'll get into the preview Indiana, Cincinnati. So if you guys want to dive into Western Kentucky, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely uh, like a high, pro- like a very high, high performing game between two teams that uh, probably won't hear a lot from on the big time national TV screen. But uh, definitely a big game. Uh, Could have gone either way, in my opinion. Some big plays from Indiana's defense towards the latter half and the special teams towards the latter half of that game that uh, propelled them to a crazy win over Western Kentucky for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, Coach Allen's been talking about it a lot lately in the press conferences, the importance of playing complementary football in all three phases of the game. And I think he's got to be pretty pretty stoked about how that game went, considering the special teams made the two biggest plays of the game in overtime. And then the defense, Cam Jones, coming up with a forced fumble in the fourth quarter, really sparking that. So I feel like, you know, the offense is still – Kind of a work in progress for the Hoosiers, but defensively and on special teams, I think they're starting to figure things out. Yeah, one thing one thing I wrote about too is just Indiana finds another way to win, which they've somehow done in the first three weeks. I mean, we saw it week one with the game-winning drive, 75 yards with two minutes, two-minute drill. Uh, then last or two weeks ago against Idaho when backs against the wall down 10-0 at halftime and things weren't looking good for Indiana. And here they are again trailing from almost 12 minutes left in the second quarter all the way through tying the game, bringing it to overtime, and hitting the game winner. So they just keep scrapping and keep finding a way to win. I mean, yeah, for I mean, for sure. And there were a lot of points in that, in that game where it just kind of looked like Indiana was dead in the water. I mean, they, there's, the inter, there's the interception in the end zone. And then Indiana goes down the field, and I'm blanking on this drive, but Indiana goes down the field, and then they score, right? And then Western Kentucky comes right back down the field. It looks like they're going to score. And then out of nowhere, Cam Jones forced fumble. Miles Jackson recovers it. and But at that point, it was kind of like, okay, this is, this is the nail in the coffin if you're Western Kentucky on Indiana. If you can score here, it's pretty much over. And it, feel, it felt kind of like at, there was a point where it kind of just felt like Western Kentucky was defeating themselves. They played so at such a high level throughout the entire game. And something that I kind of, I've been writing about as well is, you know, the fact that Indiana and Western Kentucky's offense is so similar is that they're up-tempo. They try to make the big plays downfield. And Indiana, for them having an offense like that, it seemed like their defense was very, very tired trying to keep up with that Western Kentucky offense on multiple occasions. Felt like they couldn't keep up. And Austin Reed was putting, like, throwing shots in there. You know, the running game wasn't really working for Western Kentucky, but it didn't really have to. And for the majority of that game, they were dominating. And honestly, Western Kentucky probably did the up-tempo offense better than Walt Bell and the Hoosiers did in that game. Yeah, like you're saying, I think, you know, I checked the stats at halftime during that game, and they were eerily similar. I, I think... Bazelak had like a little over 200 yards. I think Reed also had a little over 200 yards. The rushing numbers, I think they were split by like less than 10 yards in total rushing yards. So like you're saying, the offenses were 
really like almost clones of each other. And then it was just who was finishing drives, which Western Kentucky was in the first half and in the second half. And to your point, Western Kentucky and Indiana are dependent on the big play. And especially in the second half, there was a couple times where Western Kentucky, like we said, they didn't have much of a running game, but sometimes they would bust like a 30-yard run. And those were really debilitating for Indiana's defense, I'd say. And then the big plays for Indiana's defense in the red zone to, to get stops and keep them from scoring and putting more points on the board are really what kept Indiana in the game and gives gives them the ability to come out with the win. Yeah, they were pretty identical at halftime stats-wise. But then second second half, especially kind of in the beginning, I thought Western Kentucky was going to start running away with it. I mean, there was a point uh, Austin Reed had – I think he got up to 86% pass completion. It, I mean, he was just putting on a clinic, and he was throwing the ball all over the defense. And then Kai Robichaud ended up being their lead rusher. We we came in talking about Davion Urban Poindexter, but it was Kai Robichaud. He broke off a 60-yard run, finished with 135 rushing yards himself, and they just had the offense going. They had Indiana's defense guessing on every play, and they just couldn't get stops until they started to force those turnovers which in our preview we talked about was probably going to be key with that up-tempo offense, and it came back and helped them to get the win. Yeah, I mean, and another thing I want to talk about is fourth quarter, Indiana scores a touchdown. Josh Henderson, that 19-yard run, brings them within five points, and they're tasked with either um, kicking the extra point or going for two, and they elect to go for two, which was extremely interesting because it's still very early in the game. And going for the extra point would only put down, them down by four. So now so, so now they missed the two-point conversion. They're down by five instead of four. Um, and then they, they come back later in that game. They could have won the game with a touchdown. Instead, um, they had... Well, they could, I'm sorry. Yeah, they could have won the game with just a touchdown. Instead, they have to go for the two... Well, they could have tied the game. Instead, they had, I keep on correcting myself here, instead they had to go for the two-point conversion there in order to see if there was even a chance to win it, to tie it to go to overtime. So that was just, that was something that was really interesting to me and not something that we didn't really talk about a lot because going into that um, two-point conversion, Indiana's already 0 for 2, they 0 for 3 on that one. And then luckily, Indiana somehow pulls it out and gets a two-point conversion on that last play in the fourth quarter. But still something that not a lot of people address with Tom Allen and his decision-making on that offense if side and why he was going for it so early in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, it, it goes either way. If you take the, the extra point, then you don't know what the situation is going to be like down the line. I personally agree with aggressive play calling, especially when you haven't been able to really get stops on a team like Western Kentucky to that point. I mean, they were really just marching up and down the field from my memory um and then also just the the play calling it seems like whenever indiana gets backed up against a wall that's when walt bell really starts to let let them take some shots and and it's not that their offense is necessarily like it's not terrible but when when you're waiting until you're desperate to make plays it's worrying for when you come up against teams down the line like a cincinnati who have been successful in years past making the college football playoff last year. Yeah, and to go back to what you were saying, Jacob, uh, I want to talk about after Indiana scored that touchdown, 
that was the drive where Western Kentucky came back. So now they're instead of trailing by three, they're trailing by five. Breaks off a 59-yard run. And who is it that comes up with the tackle at the three-yard line? Desan McCullough, the freshman, who's 6'5", 200-something pounds, runs all the way down the field, chases down uh, Kai Robichaud and tackles him at the three. Indiana gets a stop, forces a field goal, keeps the deficit to eight to which Indiana comes back, eventually ties it. And I think that was, we can talk about the turnovers, but that was really where the defense came up clutch too, was forcing that field goal. And so that's just another example of how this defense, they didn't look that good throughout the course of the game as we talked about, but they come up when it really matters. And I they, think, It's certainly like bending toward, like tell, to maximum strength. And then they finally, like the big plays prevent them from breaking. I mean, the last play... The last drive of the game, since that, or, um, West Kentucky rather drives down on Indiana, and it seems like Austin Reed is going to set West Kentucky up for a game-winning field goal. Um, and they were still a little bit outside. It was still a little bit far for field goal range, and they throw it, and Jalen Williams gets called um, on the P.I. They bring that up, and you're like, oh, goodness gracious, you know, West Kentucky's going to make this. They're going to win the game. Indiana's not going to be defeated anymore. And then who else comes up big? Jalen Williams with a black kick. Um, and then, of course, the game goes to overtime. Everybody knows how the story ended. Charles Campbell hits the field hits the field goal. But just absolutely ridiculous series of events. Quite literally, mistake, mistakes piling up, you know, PI mistake. And then just the fact that this guy, Austin Reed, threw for 300 yards. Like, he was tearing up this team. And then those big plays, black field goal. The, the Sam McCullough um, takedown, the fumble, the interception, like those good plays are what kept Indiana into this game. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> at the end of the day, it seems like Indiana's kind of playing with fire and they're reliant on the big plays like you're talking about. Like, Dayson McCullough, highest recruit Indiana's ever gotten, and he made a huge play. But when it, when it comes to, like, these Big Ten opponents that Indiana's going to face here soon – I mean, they played Illinois already. We know how that went. Connor Bazelak, late drive to win the game. But the big plays are going to be less and less common as the as the competition ramps up. And it's going to be interesting to see if Indiana's defense can kind of get back to the way they used to play, where it was less of the bend but not break, but more of just like dominating the game, really. And I think they have the the players to do that still. I just I don't know if it's play calling or what the difference is, but they're giving up a lot of points this year, which is a lot more it's not as characteristic of them in the past. And the offense, if if the offense can become stable and able to have prolonged drives even in the hurry up offense and kind of give the defense a little bit of juice, because it feels like when the offense finally does come to life late in these games is when the defense starts to make the big plays. And I think that'll be interesting to see if that's a trend as the season continues and if the offense can get going, the defense becomes more consistent and not really bending near near as much. You make a great point, especially with a couple things considered, with one being the fact that the secondary is a lot of the same players as it was in 2020 and the, la- the past couple seasons. So... These are the same group of guys who was were what like top five in interceptions in 2020, and they just caused havoc everywhere. That and pairing with the fact that Tom Allen is back to calling the defense again, and so you would think that 
he would go back to his kind of play style where it's just you kind of wreak havoc and you're trying to forge as many turnovers as possible. But we've seen flashes of it, but we really haven't gotten to see it completely come together. Uh, before we kind of move on to that stuff, though, I just wanted to go back and I just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts about some of the obviously obviously penalties can be missed and miscalled throughout the course of a game, but a couple big ones especially the Connor Baselak targeting or no targeting sequence of events. Uh, he slides, and then a Western Kentucky defender comes in afterwards. It looks like targeting, and it's called that unnecessary roughness. And then A.J. Barner gets involved, and then there's more unnecessary roughness penalties, and all of that just gets wiped off the board. And I thought that changed, honestly, the rest of the game because Indiana – with the 15 yards, it would have been set up for a touchdown, but instead they ended up settling for a field goal on that drive. I mean, of course, uh, with Indiana's offense, you can't guarantee a touchdown in, no matter where they are in the field. So, um, But that is a good point. It, to me, it looked like it was pretty obviously targeting. Um, the surrounding circumstances where Barner was in the face and the guy, I, I forget his name, but... Um, he was in the face of Barner and Bazelak, and Camper was in on that play as well. Um, weird, just, I, I don't really have any good understanding or good uh, content around it, but I, I, it was just a weird play, and somehow all the penalties offsetted, even though Bazelak was the one who was sliding on the ground and got hit in the head. So <laughs> it is what it is, you know? Yeah, to that point, like you were saying about how it changed the trajectory of the game, the first drive Western Kentucky had, McCullough comes up with a sack on third down, and they don't really move the ball down the field that much. And then IU comes out on their first offensive possession, that which, which we're describing, and they're marching down the field. And then Basilek, I thought, was clearly down, gave himself up, and the defensive back from Western Kentucky comes in and drills him in the head. Like, I could see why A.J. Barner got up in his face, but... I was I was shocked that there wasn't targeting called, especially like the whole point of targeting is not only like the helmet to helmet, but like on like important players and like that's the starting quarterback for the opposition. So I feel like that's a pretty cut and dry call, but they changed it and it 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 was a it was a long review. It took a while and that may have taken Indiana out of their flow offensively. The momentum shifts, but I definitely think it had a big impact on the rest of the game. Yeah, and I mean, we've seen Indiana have its fair share of love-hate relationship with penalties because you can talk about, like, you can talk about that penalty or you can go to the pass interference called against them, which set Western Kentucky up for the game-winning field goal on the last drive. But you can also talk about when Indiana drove down the field, scored a touchdown, I think, like, 45 of those yards came from penalties 30 or 40 yards so they also got to reap the benefits eventually in the game with that even on the two-point conversion I think there was a defensive holding so again penalties just continued to come up for Western Kentucky which were a problem and it also reminds me of last season as we're getting into Cincinnati when Indiana's up on Cincinnati who's number eight at the time I think and then Micah McFadden comes in to sack Desmond Ritter, and they call targeting on him and eject him. And it's a really controversial call. So that kind of targeting is just uh, nightmares for 
Indiana fans as they later lost that game to Cincinnati. But yeah, yeah we can move on now and talk about I Cincinnati. Just got like uh, nostalgia listening to that because <laughs> I remember seeing that and that was just that was huge. Yeah, I, I was talking to someone who actually didn't know that Michael McFadden was ejected from the game until after the game. It was just a really confusing yeah. sequence of events, and it was one of the worst targeting side remember watching. But moving on, Indiana's about to face Cincinnati this weekend in Indiana's first road game of the season, which is going to be a real tester. This isn't... This isn't the same Cincinnati that made the college football playoff last year, but they're still a really solid team. They gave a ranked Arkansas a run for their money, lost by a touchdown at Arkansas in their season opener. And they're a good team, and they're a good program led by a good coach and Luke Fickle. So uh, what are you guys thinking just in terms of how this matchup fares up for Indiana? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Yeah, I mean... I mean, you touched on it. They're they're not the college football playoff team that they were last year. They lost Desmond Riddler, um, but um, Riddler, not Riddler, Rid Ridder. Uh, and none, nonetheless, um, they lost their quarterback um, to the draft last year. But they're still a pretty good football team. They put up almost 500 yards a game. It's no question the best football team that Indiana will face so far. Not the best team they'll play all year, of course, but it's definitely the best to play so far. They're playing them away. Um, Indiana's got a lot to prove, but Cincinnati's got a lot to prove too. They got kicked out of the playoff, like top twenty-five, right after their seven-point loss to Arkansas, and Arkansas is the number ten team in the country. So um, definitely something to prove there. Um, but I mean, the keys are pretty simple. Um, if Indiana wants to win this game, they can't play like they have the past three games. They've got to play a more solidified offense, more solidified defense. Um, the bending aspect of it all is I just am, I do not think it's going to work. If they bend as much as they can and they think they can win it towards the end of the game with big, tur- with big turnovers and big defensive plays, it's just not going to work like that against Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati puts up almost more than 40 points a game, and they only let their opponents get just under 20 points a game. Um, they're a good football team and you know and you know a lot of it is you know they played Miami Ohio and stuff like that and that's understandable but um they're I mean they're still very good and if IU can't get it going in the first half and they they try to find they try to find they try to start getting it going in the second half it's just not going to work if you're already down 30 nothing so I think the early keys Get started early, and that defense has got to be solidified. They cannot, they can't give up big yardage plays like that. Cincinnati is going to eat you up on those. Yeah, I think for me, it's going to be most interesting to see how Cincinnati can run the ball against IU because in the first game against Arkansas, they had their seems like they have a two headed attack with Corey Kiner and Charles McClelland. And McClellan averaged 8.8 yards a carry against Arkansas, and Kiner averaged almost five. So if they're doing that against a pretty high-level SEC defense, and Indiana's main weakness so far this year has been, I'd say, their rushing defense. I mean, they just they get gashed. And, I, I mean, it's going to be really interesting because the missed tackles, we know about that week one. There was 23 for IU. Uh, that's not going to cut it, especially against a team like Cincinnati. And it's not like Cincinnati can't throw the ball either because their quarterback has been 
passing for well over 300 yards in the games he's seen substantial action and then against Kennesaw State where he didn't play as much because of the score he was 17 for 20 for 201 yards three touchdowns no interceptions so I mean Cincinnati definitely seems like their offense may not have taken much of a step back they do they're missing Kobe Bryant and Sauce Gardner from last year on the edge so their cornerback room might be a little depleted but I don't know what they did in terms of transfers and recruiting I mean, Indiana's going to have a real test this week for sure. I think one of the biggest aspects of the game is going to be the combination of it being Indiana's first road game of the year. So obviously it's an experienced roster, but this team as a collective hasn't experienced the road environment. And not only any road environment, but Cincinnati, who won, is, I don't know if you'd call them an elite program, but... They've been near the top the past couple of seasons, and you combine it that it's a 3.30 game, which is a good time. Students will come out. It's on ESPN2. It's going to be a premier game, and it's Indiana's the best team that's going to be at Cincinnati all season considering their conference play with the American just isn't quite the quality or level of Indiana. So this really, you could say, is their biggest game their biggest home game at least of the season and so the fans were going to show up like that's just going to be a fact and I, it's interesting to see how Indiana will handle that environment especially in the fact that I think a big I think at least some part of Indiana making these comebacks these past couple weeks is you have the energy of the home crowd they're on your side and so when you're making these big plays the crowd's going crazy you're pumping them up you can't do that on the road so uh how will indiana respond to that kind of thing if they get down early and we can talk about we can start start to focus in on certain aspects like how Basilac's going to perform how shivers is going to perform oh one thing i want to talk about i've made up my mind is the running back situation we saw at the end of the game against Western Kentucky, Josh Henderson taking more snaps than Sean Shivers, running the ball more, getting more touches, and he was producing and doing a good job. So I just want to hear your guys' thoughts of who's going to – Is do you think Shivers will still start, or do you think Henderson will just get more touches throughout the next couple of weeks and Allen's going to kind of figure out what's going on there? Uh, I think it's uh, – Shivers is still going to be the RB1 there, but uh, what Allen wants – what I've heard Allen kind of wants is – that one-two punch between running backs, between Shivers and Henderson, which is a pretty lethal duo if you can get that working, especially in the Big Ten. You know, there's yeah, the running back game in the Big Ten is so talented that a lot of them do have those one-two punches. Um, I referred to it a little last week in Michigan because I'm relatively familiar with Michigan's program. But right now they have Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards works really well. Last year, the rushing attack was lethal with Hassan Haskins and... Um, Blake Corm, Hassan Askins, by the way, outran Derrick Henry uh, Monday night for the Titans. Fun fact for everybody. But uh, so I think I think you're going to see something more like that, and it'll be very it'll be very beneficial to Indiana if they can get that working. And you know, it, not just on nights when they're both clicking and Shivers and Henderson can both hit on all cylinders, but on nights that Shivers doesn't have it, like they like he saw last game, and Henderson's going to pick it up there. On nights that Henderson didn't really have it, Shiver's going to pick it up there. So that's my two cents about it. Yeah, I think 
The running back situation for Indiana is really intriguing because I remember last week before the game, Trent Howland was getting first-team reps and, and walkthroughs before the game. And, like, if Shivers is possibly at risk of losing his job, uh, I wouldn't be that surprised because if you're giving a freshman like that a lot of opportunities and then Henderson comes in late in the game and makes the big plays and it's not Shivers – then maybe that maybe that position is more up for grabs than than we think. My personal opinion is Shivers will start again next week, and we'll see how he does. I do think Henderson will get a lot of reps as well, but I think I think there's it's definitely something worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, I'm kind of going through notes here. I'm looking at stuff. Another just kind of off topic, but to bring up is in two of Cincinnati's games both Arkansas and then against Miami, Ohio last week, they also have started off slow. Uh, I think they went scoreless in the first half against Arkansas, and then they were trailing 17-7 to Miami of Ohio at one point, which, like our halftime deficit to Idaho, is a little concerning. So this might be a battle of who can get out quicker, and do you guys have the confidence in Indiana to do that this weekend? (laughs) Uh, no, um, I do not have the confidence in Indiana to do that because I thought they were going to do that against Western Kentucky and I was wrong and Western Kentucky's offense kind of beat them a little bit in that first half. Um, I, I, the Arkansas game with Cincinnati was kind of understanding because Arkansas is obviously a, a better team than what we've been used to. Um, and it's the first game of the season. You know, everybody should get that, you know, first game. The Miami-Ohio thing is a little concerning if you're Cincinnati, but uh, um, I do not have full confidence that they get out um, f- firing on all cylinders. But, you know, a touchdown on the first drive of the game, something like that is something I wouldn't be surprised. So they came out with all the confidence in the world, like with with almost a set of, like, revenge in their mind saying, you know, they beat us last year in our home turf. It's time to do it to us. Let's come out trying to make the big plays early. And if those big plays click, then they're in the score. They're in the end zone. Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I think Indiana. I, I don't think they're gonna come out and like put a bunch of points up on the board early, but I think it's possible because last week against Western Kentucky, like you said, we kind of all expected it, and early it looked like they were just gonna drive right down the field. And the targeting call happened. But, I mean, I could definitely see. Sometimes I feel like teams, when they go on the road, there's, like, a pressure lifted from them. They're not playing in front of the home crowd. And they play a little more freely. And if that happens, then we could see Indiana go up 7-0 early in the game. Whether that will carry through the first half, I have some questions about because I feel like Indiana's offense kind of fizzles a little bit and then picks back up. But I definitely think Cincinnati could be in for a slow start just based on looking at how they've scored half-to-half in these games. But I I think Cincinnati will probably comfortably be ahead at halftime. All right. I want to just do some rapid-fire questions for you guys. First off, Connor Baselak over under 300 yards in the game. I'm going to go with under. I think Cincinnati's defense is the best defense he's played so far, so I'm going to go under. I'm going to go over. I think Indiana's going to struggle to run the football, and if that happens, then it's going to all be on Bayslack to make plays, and 
it could turn into a Illinois type situation where the running game had what like 28 yards total and Basilak had over 300 by a fair amount so I think it'll end up being something like that more yards from scrimmage Josh Henderson or Sean Shivers Shivers is going to have a bounce back week this week. Last week is not his week. I, I mean, he's still a solid running back. Uh, I'm going to go with Shivers. And I think, honestly, I think Shivers might get up to 100 against Cincinnati just because um, Bayslack, I don't think they're going to get it through the air. I think. I think total yardage, Shivers, because I feel like he's more of the receiving threat. Though we did see Josh Henderson hit a couple big receptions last week. But I, I definitely think Shivers will finish with more yards. Yes or no, does Indiana have a play from scrimmage over 50 yards? Of course they do. They'll have like three over 50 yards and still and still neglect to get in the end zone in either of those on either of those drives as they hit those. So I'm gonna go yes, and I like I'd probably say they're gonna get three or four. I'm going to say no. I think they'll have one or two of those over 50-yard plays, but I think the big plays for Indiana in this game are going to come between like the 25 and 35-yard area. They're not going to be like the huge half-field plays. Will the defense win the turnover battle? <laughs> um, I So, yes. I'm going to say yeah. I know he's a rapid fire. I know, I'm going to say yes, they will win the turnover battle, but... The total yardage that they give up is going to be significantly more than the total yardage that Cincinnati gives up. I'm going to say I think they win the turnover battle. I think Indiana's defense is going to kind of look a little bit more opportunistic. I think they make some more big plays. I don't know as much about Cincinnati's defense this year, but I know losing Sauce Gardner, Kobe Bryant, some other names, they're going to, I think their defense takes a step back. The current over-under is set at 57.5 over or under total points in the game. 57.5. Um, <laughs> so they, if we're going off of last games, they've hit that once with the Illinois game, right? Is that the only – or with, with the uh, Western Kentucky game and then every other game they've hit the under there? I'm going to go with um, – Cincinnati scores a lot of points, too. I'm going to go with over. I'm going to go with over, too. I think we're not going to get into predictions quite yet, but I think Cincinnati puts up a lot of points, which will contribute heavily to that. Yeah, we don't have to get into predictions yet. We can talk about Cincinnati. I asked you about Basilac. Do we have more yards than Cincinnati? I know you guys kind of touched on it a bit. Uh, Indiana I will not have more yards than Cincinnati. It's uh, it's it's going to be a test, and of course we're not doing game things yet. But it they're gonna ha I think they're gonna be outdone in the offensive yards and the defensive yards. I I'm inclined to agree. I think Cincinnati will their their offense will run effectively against Indiana. Who do you think has a bigger impact on the game? Dasan McCullough or Cam Jones? That's tough. Uh, I'm going to say Cam Jones because I think his fumble last week changed the course of, like, was humongous. 
and like it changed the course of the entire game. I think the like because the interception happened. Then since the, then West Kentucky after the interception drives right back down to the field. You think they're gonna put the nail in the coffin, like I said earlier, and then Cam Jones knocks the ball out. It was I'm gonna go with Cam Jones, but Deshaun Deshaun McCullough is a tremendous player and he's gonna be good for a long time at IU. I'm inclined to agree on Cam Jones just because I feel like he's got that consistency, but there's something a little bit extra to this game, I feel like, for Deshaun. I think his brother is committed to Cincinnati. Uh, he He's just a Swiss Army knife. He plays all over the field for Indiana. I could see him... Last week, I know we kind of talked about sacks and possibly an interception for him. I think this week... He matches up well athletically with a lot of these guys. Not that the other IU players don't, but I think he's just that upper echelon athlete. I think he makes a couple big plays in this game. Will Charles Campbell miss a field goal? He will not. If uh, the conditions are right in Cincinnati, I don't think it's supposed to be rainy or anything like that. Might want to double check me on that. Uh, It should be a nice day. Uh, I don't think he's gonna miss one. I, he missed. He missed two technically. One that one that went on the record book against uh, Idaho, and that was rainy conditions. You know, if ball was wet, field was wet. I'll give him the pass on that one. I think. I think he's perfect on his kicks in this game. He's been consistent throughout his time at IU, and I think that's gonna continue if the weather's good. 16 and a half point spread in favor of Cincinnati. We don't have to talk about win loss yet, but does Indiana keep it within 17 points? Yeah, I mean, I try, I trashed Indiana a lot, but they're going to keep it at least, I would hope they keep it within uh, 16 and a half. I think they keep it within 16 and a half. I think, yeah, definitely. I, I would take that. Moving away from the predictions for a second, I just want to know what you guys expect of Cincinnati the remainder of the season, regardless of the Indiana outcome. I mean, they're they're two and one right now. They could win out the rest of the season. Do you think this team has what it takes to do that, or do you think this is an opponent that isn't as strong as last year, and so they'll slip up in conference play, if not against Indiana? I mean, I think they could definitely win out. There's, their schedule is really, it, I mean, it's it's really not a daunting schedule by any means. They got through it last year, of course, the team was way better. But they, I mean, they don't have to play Houston at all on the schedule, which is which is a huge win somehow in schedule maker. Uh, Arkansas was the biggest game. They lost that one, but Arkansas is ranked. They're continuing climbing. Um, good, I mean, good team. I think they're going to win out. Uh, there was, as, as far as the respect goes towards the committee, and the AP voters, I don't think it's very high. They, I mean, they got knocked out one week into the season. So, yeah, I think they're going to go one loss through the year if they beat Indiana. So, yeah, I think they'll win out. I think there's a stretch of games here looking at their schedule that will be very interesting. I think South Florida, they just barely lost to Florida last week. And then SMU and UCF have been building programs the last few years. This is a slightly weaker Cincinnati roster than we saw last year, and I'm not saying they're going to lose all three of those games, but I think they drop one of those three games. Mark me down as a prediction that Cincinnati loses at home to East Carolina. Just happens. 
They just, <laughs> just slip happens. up. They just slip up. Now, game predictions. Indiana at Cincinnati. I will go first. I'm going to say Indiana's luck finally catches up to them, and Indiana loses, and they lose 31 to 20. All right. I, I like that score. I like that score because I also had a 31 score in mine. I'm going to say their luck does catch up to them in the sort that when they're when there comes a last second moment when they when they've been able to get out of the grave basically they don't get out of the grave this time like they have the past couple weeks i think the fact that this was this like this was the same team that lost that heartbreaker last year and they felt like they had it and that was a huge game for them um they that's going to come out i think they're going to be more solidified i don't think they're going to be perfect though i think they're going to give up a lot of the yards they're, I think their offense is going to be wildly inconsistent. I think that's just going to be something we see all year. I think they're going to. It's going to be thirty-three to twenty-seven in favor of Cincinnati. In favor of Cincinnati. I'm going to continue the trend. I think Cincinnati comes out on top. Now. I am not going to be as favorable towards either team's offense. I feel like from what I've seen from Indiana's defense, I feel like Cincinnati will take a little bit of a step back in this game, coming off a couple games against lesser opponents where they dropped a lot of points. I think we could see a scoreline of 28-17 to 17 Cincinnati. I think Indiana struggles to put the ball in the end zone in this game. It's kind of been a theme of the season, and against an upper-tier team like Cincinnati, I think it'll rear its ugly head. And Cincinnati, I think, while I, I think their offense will move up and down the field, I feel like there will be key takeaways either in the red zone or late in drives that keep them from putting up as many points as I maybe would have expected. So I think 28-17 Cincinnati. All right, there you have it. We'll see on Saturday afternoon how this turns out. But until then, we'll catch you later. Peace.